Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I want to start with the congratulations. Uh, you are the father of a graduate now. Oh, thanks. You got to do a virtual graduation, correct? How, a, how was it? Are we proud, a, Dad? I'm a proud, Dad, but it's a bizarre experience to go through that. It, it just tells you how strange the times are. You know, I don't know about you. I would give anything for a time machine just <laughs> just to go back to February, like to appreciate what was going on in February. No, just I don't know. Just it it just seems like it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? I mean, there's so many things that I wish I could like go back to. You know, going back to just watching sports, sitting next to someone, high fiving them, going to to Top Golf and and hitting some balls, doing all sorts of just stuff that we all took for granted. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while. I'm gonna get a haircut for the first time tomorrow, so I can you tell you it's been a long time. I'm very excited. This, this the, is the funny thing is, is you you've talked about the haircut several times, and I'm sure that people are like picturing you with like this long flowing locks. And just so everybody knows, it's not that for it's me. Not. It's long now. I get my haircut like every two weeks. It's it's an issue. But uh, more important things, we've hey, got wait, sports coming Globe. back. I got an answer for you. Flo- You're just bringing up all the the classic devices. Floby, before the game, you were talking about this thing, the schmoo, that's like a clown punching bag thing. Oh, to we'll sit get in to seats. That. You're talking no, about no, all kinds don't of. Give, don't give it away. We'll talk about the schmoo when we get. All right, to the we'll we'll stuff. get there. Go okay, ahead. well, let's move to baseball. So mm-hmm. it looks like we're going to have a season. Uh, Major League Baseball will have opening day either July 23rd or July 24th. Either. Players are going to start reporting. Three months of wasted aggravation, and we are back now to play baseball. They'll play through September 27th. Ten-team uh, playoff structure. Uh, Jeff, there are some things that are good and some things that are bad. I want you a review of what will happen. Mascots will be allowed in the stands, not on the field. I'm good with that. Better than not being allowed at all. Except for that ridiculous dinosaur that the Rockies have, because I haven't gotten over that. You are so against that dinosaur. Well, come on. Do you not remember when the Phillies played the Rockies in the playoffs and that stupid purple dinosaur was in the background behind home plate the entire time? (laughs) It kills me the things you focus on. A DH in both leagues. How are you on this change? You're good good with that? that that How does that impact the the Phillies? Phillies? I was going to say. I mean, it depends on how... Alec Bohm does in this, you know, second spring training. I mean, people are just assuming that he's going to come up and do well. Uh, we don't know if he's going to be a fast, a fast starter this season. So if that happens, if he plays well in this, you know, short spring training update, I think it'll be a, a positive for the Phillies. Uh, players will not that are not playing the game will sit in the stands, not in the dugout. What was that? Players that are not playing in the game will sit in the stands, not in the dugout. That's ridiculous. That is apparently... Uh, If if you've already put them in the bubble, if that's what they're in, whatever they're doing, what is the difference? So what happens? Then all of a sudden they wave to him and he grabs his stuff and comes out of the stands and runs into the dugout? I... (laughs) It's going to... There's only so much you can do. At it's it's going to be like the first time that Gabe called down to the bullpen and nobody answered the phone. Well, <laughs> do you remember that? They're going to yes, be like waving to the stands. Hey, uh-huh. pay attention. Okay, to me. so that 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 the next question is: so that's the dugout. Is there a bullpen, or are they all going to be sitting out in the bleachers? 
Like, what's I, what's the plan for the out? They're all going to be sitting in the outfield, and each one will have its own section. <laughs> and they walk, they climb exactly. over the the rail, step down the yeah. steps, and, uh-huh. and which, go which in. that'll be know. fine until the first person breaks their ankle, and that'll be 30, the end of that one. Thirty man roster, then to twenty eight for the for next two, and then down to twenty six for the remainder of the season. I actually think it should be larger than that. I think that the risk of people getting sick is so great that they should have additional players in there. So, and so by they're the going to have a taxi squad. That allows them to have as many as sixty players available to play in the major. Yeah, which which is good for the minor leaguers, and I, and I hope this means they're paying them. So that will be something to watch for sure. Players will be tested every other day, even if they're asymptomatic. Right. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that in all these leagues. Uh, trade deadline August thirty first, less than a month before the regular season scheduled to end. Right. Uh, and last but not least, my favorite for your response. In extra innings, teams will begin with a runner on second base. Jeff, the floor is yours. I know how excited you are for this rule change. I coach T-ball. I coach coach first graders and second graders. That didn't work then, except parents just wanted to go home at that point. I do not want to see Major League Baseball all of a sudden start the inning. Because we saw this in Minor League Baseball last year. They tried this last year. And you hated it there. Uh, I was at the games, (laughs) and all of a sudden, the inning starts, and there's just a guy on second base. It's ridiculous. I would rather – I'm actually starting to – because I've now uh, started liking soccer, I've actually gotten used to the tie, where as a younger man, I never liked the tie. I'd rather have a tie than have the guy who runs out the second base without earning it. It makes no sense to me. On the bright side, I well, do think it's there a There is no bright to the, side of this. The I only think bright side is we all get participation trophies at the end of this. If you're looking at it from a Phillies perspective, yeah. as long it? as Roman Quinn's healthy, he's one of the fastest people on the field, and they can put him out at second to start an inning. That's not a bad thing for them. <sighs> Just Please, saying. Are you kidding me? V- Vito says it saves the pitcher's arms. Do you no, care I'll, about their arms right yes. now? And I'll, and I'll tell you what, it'll save the pitcher's arms more if they just ended after nine innings. <laughs> and you don't have this ridiculousness. Uh, and, and, you know what save, and if you want to save the pitcher's arms, San Francisco don't have Cape Kapler as your manager. Which would you like less, uh, home run derby in the 10th or starting on second, Jeff, to, to decide the game? They're two bad options. I know you don't like either I, of them. I would, so I would rather have the home run derby. How stunned are you that this is actually something that's going to happen now? That this is just going to be implemented? Look, is there any chance, any chance that they just say, you know what, we'll go with the tie? No, <laughs> you've lost. You've lost. Like, how, about a, how about a coin flip at that point? So you said you wanted baseball back. This is the deal with the devil you have to make to get it back. Uh, in the <laughs> meantime, back in a whole different way. You you won't be able to uh, go to the game. Hold on. So so you mentioned that that they're going to have a player at second. Yeah. Uh, Vito Vito said that that he thinks that you can pick any player to start the inning. You can't you can't pick any player. You have to have made the last out in the previous. Oh, inning. it really is like T-ball. <laughs> You're hating this even more yeah, as we just learn get, more about if it. If you want to make it more fun, here's what you do. You let the other team pick who starts on second base. Because <laughs> then if Bartolo Colon comes back to the league, he will be on second base every time. That will be Oh, we found a way for Jeff to like this rule change. All right, we need to move on now if Jeff's happy. I'm all good with that now.
Jeff, you can't go to watch a game, but if you're in San Francisco, you can have a cardboard cutout of yourself in the seats. Season ticket holders will be able to send an image to be placed on the cutout. They're calling it the Giants fan cutout opportunity. The cutouts will be made of weatherproof material and will be placed as close to the season ticket holder seats as possible. And if you're not a season ticket holder, you could pay $99 to have your own cardboard cutout somewhere in the stadium to watch the game. Why? Your reaction. Why in the world would you pay $99? <laughs> okay, so if the Phillies do it, I'm a season ticket holder, so I guess I get it. But here's what you should do instead of having this stupid cardboard cutout. Uh, for those that are old enough, inflatable schmoo. I for love the that, way you preface that, for those that are old right, enough, because I had well, to— for our if listeners, you're younger, if you're younger like you, then what you do is you have an inflatable bozo bot bag or so, any other character. So they're inflatable things that stand up and you punch them. And so what they should do is put your face on. Before the show, Jeff said this inflatable schmoo thing. And I had to Google it. Like, I, But then I realized what it is. It's a little clown punching bag thing. Right. I never knew that that's what it was called. I had it as a kid, but I didn't know the name. So Jeff wants a stadium full of 70,000 clowns staring at you it on would TV. Be, well, apparently. not 70,000. What baseball stadium do you have that has 70,000? Well, if it's a football stadium, 70,000 people. This is baseball. Okay. Way to, way to be technical about it. I just it. think it'll be funny, especially if it's windy. Oh, God, they'll all, like, sway back hey, and forth. Yeah, here's an idea. Why don't they put an inflatable schmoo or bozo on second base and why let don't the wind you, blow it around? Why don't we bring on Sam Carcitti from the Inquirer to talk some hockey and flyers? Jeff, maybe you can ask him if he knows what they'll be doing the seating uh, for the games there. Sam, how are you doing today, man? Good. How are you doing? We cannot complain. Jeff is trying to figure out how Wait, they're going to fill on. the seats. I can complain. Jeff so, can always so, complain. So, Sam, before we get to hockey, I don't know if you heard, the San Francisco uh, Giants are going to allow fans to send in a photo that they're going to put on a cardboard cutout and plop it in a seat. My suggestion was that they put the face on an inflatable schmoo. Do you know what that is? An inflatable, what was it? I'm sorry. Schmoo. Uh, I'm so glad that he I doesn't did, know what that I, is. I, Thank no, you, Sam. I, I'll, don't plead, I'll plead ignorance. I'm sorry. All right. It's like a bozo clown punching bag that Jeff thinks that people will know what it is. And I just don't okay. have any clue. I had to Google it and didn't Sam, know. Sam, you let me down. So yeah. instead, let, let's, let's talk about the NHL. For, I assume the okay. NHL is not going to do that. So let's move on to the Flyers. Um, okay. the, the big promising happy story that's come out so far about the Flyers is, is seeing Oscar Lindblom back on the ice. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing that, uh, you know, almost uh, six and a half months after he was diagnosed with the Ewing sarcoma, for those who don't know, it's a rare bone disease and it afflicts only about 250 people in the United States each year. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he was one of them. And, um, you know, no, no one really knows what the future holds, but uh, I'll tell you what, earlier this week, it was uh, the future looked looked good again for him because he came back a lot earlier than any of us expected, and I think a lot of doctors expected. And, uh, you know, he was skating with the Flyers at the skate zone in Voorhees where they're having small group workouts, so he, he was taking shots on goal, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners saw that because it was uh, – you know, we tweeted it out, and Zach Kill the Flyers took some video and and sent it out, and it was actually the it actually led off Sports Center, ESPN Sports Center, ESPN Sports Center um, highlighted him and and said it was the feel good story of the day, 
And, uh, you know, he's still on undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, he's almost done, but uh, he will not play this year in the tournament uh, if the tournament is held. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's some positive vibes that, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, he could play next year. We'll see. He's had some surgery. He's had chemo. And uh, as I said, his treatments are almost done. And, and uh, I'll tell you, it, it just uh, makes your eyes water. Just to, For those that don't know him and, and or maybe haven't seen him do interviews, he, he's just a genuine, genuine kid. He's 23 years old and very humble and, and uh, sincere. And, and you really root for him. Uh, you know, even before this happened, uh, I think a lot of people were in his corner. It's easy to get in his corner and, and uh, before the diagnosis, he and Travis Connectly led the Flyers with 11 goals apiece. And, uh, you know, he he was having a breakout season. And it's just a shame that, uh, you know, he was stricken with the with the bone cancer. And But he's making great strides. And uh, the Flyers are cautiously optimistic that uh, he's on his way to recovery. And, and hopefully we'll be back with the team for next year's training camp. What's the feeling around the team as they head back into camp now and prepare for the restart of the season? Uh, how are the players and the coach looking at everything? Very optimistic. I, I, we talked to Robert Haig today, I, I should say, through interviews with Zach Hill, because reporters are not allowed in Voorhees right now uh, because of uh, the coronavirus uh, regulations. Uh, but Zach sent some audio over to us and, and, uh, you know, like all the other players who, who uh, talked this week, they think that they're going to pick up the momentum very, very early. They had momentum, as you well know. They won nine of ten games before the long pause, and that's over three months ago. But, you know, they feel that, uh, you know, that, that left an impression with them. They, they just have a bounce to their step, and they know what they can do, and they're very confident what they can do. Yes, they're going to be rusty. Yes, all the teams are going to be rusty, but they feel, you know, once they get training camp going, once they play an exhibition game or two, that the rust or most of the rust will be gone, and it won't take them long at all to get back to where they were. So they're, they're feeling very good. They had momentum before the pause, but they also had some injuries in Van Riemsdyk, Nate Thompson, and Phil Myers. You wrote about that today. How are those three players doing? Yeah, all three are, are uh, 100%, and all three are raring to go. So, um, you know, you'd like to say it's a big advantage for the Flyers, but, of course, all the other teams are going to get their injured players back, too. Now, there are some some teams that had guys that were going to be out you know, for a, even a longer period and won't be back. But most of the teams have players that have recovered. But uh, it gives the Flyers uh, an interesting dilemma because they were playing so well and you really don't want to touch the lineup too much. But uh, they actually have one forward too many right now. Do you pull a rookie out like Joel Farabee, which I think they probably will do, but it's not guaranteed. Van Riemsdyk obviously will go back in the lineup, but do you uh, do you pull Farabee out and maybe move Scott Lawton to the second line left wing and have Van Riemsdyk to the third line left wing, or maybe you bring Lawton out uh, from the left wing spot and put him in fourth line center? That's a possibility, but as you know, they they acquired Nate Thompson and he's now healthy, and they they acquired him because of his veteran leadership and. 
He's a good penalty killer. He's great on face-offs. So I would think he'll stay in the lineup. So, you know, somebody's some deserving player is going to be the odd man out. Uh, my guess it's going to be Joel Farabee in the beginning. I mean, they could always bring him back later on. Uh, but, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a nice problem to have when you have so much depth that a that a good player is going to come out of the lineup. That, that's that's a pretty good problem to have. So, uh, you know, it'll all come uh, it'll all come together if, if they get to this training camp, which they hope will start on July 10th. You talk about the depth on D. Where does Phil Myers fit in on, on D now coming back in the lineup? Yeah, he should be uh, on the second pairing, I would think. That's where he was. Uh, he's healthy again. And when the Flyers had their nine-game winning streak, uh, he and Travis Sanheim were, you know, they played off each other very well. Myers, of course, a right-handed shot. Sanheim, a lefty. That's probably how it'll be. I, I think Braun and Haig will be together on the third pairing. And Shane Gossespierre, you know, another quality player, but he was having an off year. Uh, he looks like he'll be the odd man out. The first pairing, of course, will be Niskanen and, and Ivan Provrov. But again, they have good depth on defense. Uh, Gosses Bear looks like the odd man out right now. Um, you know, that could change. But, uh, you know, you, when you look at how they finished uh, winning nine of 10, including nine in a row, and who was in that lineup most of the time, you have to think that. Uh, Shane Gosses Bear will be uh, out of the lineup, and that Hague uh, uh, will be on the uh, uh, third pairing with Braun, and they they matched up really well together as well. How about we've talked for years about the need for the Flyers to finally lock down their goaltender? We finally seem to have it with Carter Hart. What's your sense of how he's doing, and and do you think he's ready for this playoff run, and what's going to come before him? I do think he's ready, and I think he showed that uh, because he got better and better as the season progressed. You know, he was out uh, with a, with an injury, and he missed, uh, you know, a few weeks. But when he came back, he was as sharp as ever. In fact, he was sharper than he had been before, and I think the rest maybe did him some good. He was 9-2. and two. His uh, save percentage was off the charts, 934 in those 11 games when the season uh, came to an end. He even played well in the last game, the 2 nothing loss to Boston. So, you know, he's. we talked to him a few weeks ago. He's anxious to show himself, to show what he can do in the playoffs. The playoffs are, are when careers are made. He's a young kid. He's still 21, but he's anxious to show that uh, and build on his reputation that he could be a big-game player. Uh, he, he, I always say he's 21 going on 32 because he is so poised. And I think you're going to see big things from him when uh, when they come back. The defense in front of him has played very well. They're a big part of his success. And give the forwards credit for coming back as well, too. And, and uh, you know, this team was at its peak when this season ended March 12th. And, uh, you know, I, as I said, I think it'll take them uh, a little while to get back to where they were. But with a good training camp and with uh, – an exhibition game or two. They're still not sure how many exhibition games we played. Uh, you know, I envision this team uh, making a, a strong run and and winning their first playoff round since uh, 2012. It's been it's been a long time. The one name that we don't hear so far is Nolan Patrick. How is he doing, and can we expect to see him back on the ice? 
Yeah, from what I'm told, he's been working out and skating. I, I think you'll see him back on the ice. I don't think you'll see him on the roster. I think it would be too much of a risk right now to bring him back and put him in the lineup. Uh, you know, there <laughs> it's been, uh, you know, almost a full year since he's been on the uh, since he's been in a regular lineup. So he's going to have more rust than anybody. And, uh, you know, with, with the migraines, it's a tricky situation. To me, I think he'll probably work out with the team, but uh, skate with the team as he was doing right before the season ended um, with a long pause. But, uh, you know, I, I think he'll be around, and I think it'll be, it'll be valuable to have him around. But my guess is that he probably won't be back until next year. And uh, But the Flyers have been mum on him. They really uh, – I, I tried to talk to um, – to Fletcher the other day about uh, about his progress, but uh, you know they they really they didn't get back to me. So they they want to keep it under wraps right now, which isn't really a great sign. I think I think if he was ready to to play and take a regular shift, they'd be ready to to talk about him. But Chuck Fletcher did not want to talk about him uh, at that point. So I can only assume that uh, you know he's still skating and. Uh, but I, as I said, I think he'll be ready for next year. That, that's the hope anyway. From a larger NHL perspective, they're supposed to begin phase three on July 10th, allowing teams to start training camps. They're narrowing down their hub cities. Looks like they uh, just eliminated Vancouver. Um, what do you expect to see from the NHL in the coming weeks as this all gets laid out? Yeah, to be honest, I thought they would announce it this week. That was the, uh, the, the rumor floating around. I think Vegas will probably be one of the cities. Um, if I had to guess, you would think that Toronto's a possibility or maybe Pittsburgh. I think they would like to share, you know, have one Canadian and one U.S. city, but nothing is definite. And, of course, the virus is really going to decide because, you know, as you guys know, the um, <laughs> this uh, pandemic is far from over and uh, there are no guarantees that the season will restart, uh, you know, and the training camps as well. So, you know, let's so I think if if they can get uh, get through training camp, then I think there's a good chance we'll have a season. But getting through training camp is going to be tough with the way the virus has come back. So, um, you know, right now, anybody that tells you they know what's going to happen and they know that training camp's going to start July 10th is just guessing because nobody really does know yet. Not even the NHL. Some of the players have already tested positive. Uh, what is your understanding or have you talked to any of the players about how they feel about continuing on uh, as this progresses and some or players will probably test positive? Yeah, they, you know, if, if Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner said if one or even two players from a team come down with the virus, that that doesn't necessarily mean that the tournament is going to stop. And, uh, you know, which is a little puzzling because I would think that, uh, um, you would have to almost put all the players on a team in quarantine, but apparently they're not going to do that. So uh, they they are still the players are still concerned about this, and that's they still do not have an agreement to start on July 10th. That's the hope they'll start July 10th, but the players have concerns. They have health and safety concerns, and that's something that the players are still trying to work out. This it's not a slam dunk that uh, they are going to start July 10th, especially with the. Uh, you know, some of the hot spots uh, acting up again and, and some new spots uh, acting up around the country. So, um, 
Yeah, the players are definitely concerned. It's not like they're saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to start no matter what. They they do not feel that way. And the NHL doesn't feel that way either. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, everybody is a little bit more cautious this week than when they made the announcement, uh, I guess it was like 10 days, two weeks ago, that July 10th is when they were hopeful that training camp would start. I think everybody's a little bit more reserved on that right now. So Vegas seems to have Tampa Bay and Vegas, and, and Vegas as the leaders uh, coming out of the clubhouse. If you had to pick now, who would you have in the finals? Uh, yeah, I would probably say those two. I would pick Tampa Bay. Uh, Boston people would probably disagree. Boston, of course, was the, the best team in the NHL, and, and they have a lot to prove, too. They have a chip on their shoulder. Um, so I think it'll either be Tampa uh, or Boston, and I think Vegas is, is a solid pick on the other side. Um, you know, and, and there's some dark horses over there. I, I like Dallas as the dark horse. I think uh, that's a team that could cause a lot of problems. Uh, you know, they came close last year to beating the Blues, and a lot of people overlook that. So, I, you know, I, I think Dallas, if you're looking for a dark horse, is, is my team uh, to come out of the West, uh, if not Vegas. And I'll go with Tampa because, you know, as I mentioned, Boston's got a lot to prove. They lost a game seven last year to St. Louis at home, and that's left a bad taste, and it really inspired them to a tremendous season. But Tampa knocked out in four straight in the first round after a historic season last year. So I, I think that Tampa – uh, has a lot of motivation, so I, I'm going to. I would pick Tampa to win the whole thing. Sam, always appreciate the time you give us. Thanks for hopping on. They can follow you by reading you in the Inquirer. Follow you at Broad Street Bull on Twitter. Uh, you have a great one. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the time, guys. Always appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Jeff, so it's always fun when we have people on like Sam who who get the inside scoop with what's going on directly from camp. Uh, your thoughts on I know Nolan Patrick is something that you've wondered about, and I sort of feel the same way Sam does. The lack of news is concerning to me. Yeah. Well, you know, if you not, if you have not, good news, you put, not concerning like there's something bad going on. But if if he was going to be healthy and a part of the team. They would be talking about it. It's I not think. enough progress is, is the yes. way that you should look at it. It doesn't mean that this means the end of his career or, or, you know, that this is a Chris Pronger situation. All it means is that he's not ready, which, you know, we talked we talked to um, Charlie O'Connor earlier this year and Charlie had said it, you know, look, I don't think he's going to be playing this year. So this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. It's just a disappointment because he's a young talent and he's the kind of guy you want out there in this kind of run. You asked the right question about how the players feel, because I actually thought that that July 10th date was set. And apparently it's not. There's no agreement yet. Well, you know, if you have a lot of the games in the same location, it gives you more flexibility. It's the one thing that I didn't really think about until he said that. So if you can move dates around and you can move games around because you don't have to worry about travel as much. Yeah, I'm not sure how it's all going to work out. You may have heard my phone vibrate earlier, but I did want to tell you the reason it did. It was Adam Silver saying that significant spread may stop play and that the increased spike causes concern. So these are the things that leagues are going to have to decide. You asked about, you know, did how he many say that to you? sick. 
he tweeted it out and I don't think he said it to me, um, but I got a mobile notification that was uh -huh. the vibration that you said was heard on air. Yeah. The, the joys of not being in studio when you have your home desk that vibrates next Pretty to your microphone. We'll be back in studio. Um, but so these are the concerns that the leagues are going to have to work through. People mm -hmm. are going to get sick. You're, you're going to see that. You saw in the NBA, what, eight out of 302 was it? Or what's the number? 16. They came back 16 out of 302 yeah. people tested um, for the NBA coming back, have COVID. Um, you're going to see positive. Well, there's, there's something else that you need to consider, though. When somebody tests positive, it doesn't just impact whether or not that player gets quarantined. It's who that play, player is around and do they decide to quarantine. And also players that are fighting through this decision, who are doing this despite their reluctance to do it. If one of their teammates tests positive, it may give them pause and you may see players that's on that team that say, you know what, I have a child with asthma. I have an elderly parent. I'm just not willing to take this risk anymore. I was willing to take this risk as long as I wasn't in contact with anyone. Now that I'm in contact, I'm just not willing to take this risk. Anymore. And I think that's there is going to be side impacts that we just don't really anticipate until they actually happen. All of the leagues that could come back are planning to come back it appears other than minor league baseball right now um do you have faith that the dates that they're talking about to come back are the dates that actually end up occurring or no, do you think we could see some of these pushed off and i don't think that you should uh, buy your popcorn and, and park yourself in, in your barco lounger and think that that night is going to be the first game i think that this is all going to be very flexible and that hopefully they will do what's in the best interest of the players and everybody else that's involved in the game. I think that, that I actually think that the one that I'm most concerned about is the one that's farthest off, which is is football. I think that they that they are kidding themselves because of the the contact that players constantly have with each other. It is the biggest problem of all the sports, and they seem to be the most unwilling to accept what's really going on. College football, the same thing. I mean, for college football, they're back on campus, you know, in the summer. How and many tests positive did LSU have? 28 on the football Well, team? LSU, they didn't say the 28 tested positive. They said that there were 28 that were quarantined. So it was people that they didn't release, I don't think, the number. Clemson, I think, had Clemson was the 23 or more. So almost a quarter of your active football team tested positive. And, and I mean, look. I didn't even think about this. You have Wake Forest head coach is going to be isolating from his wife, who's a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. Penn State's head coach, James Franklin, is going to take similar steps to isolate. He has a daughter with sickle cell disease. Right. They're staying in Florida is my understanding. I mean, you're talking about a lot of changes for some of these people to try to continue doing what they're doing there. That's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. significant. Well, that's it. That's why it, it doesn't just involve the players. And it also involves all the people that are around the game. I mean, you and I are at games. So we're there three hours early. You see all the people that are involved in getting a game ready. Look, look at a bait like for baseball. Look at all the people that are involved in those three hours that were there interviewing players before a game. There's so much that goes on and so many of those people that need to be protected. So they need to be conscious of the fact that there's more people involved than even just the players. Well, assuming sports do come back, I won't have to continue living on documentaries. But this will actually be the 11th. That doesn't mean we're going to stop watching them. Though. No, I will continue to watch if them all. If they're as good as what we have seen so far on ESPN over the last couple of months, 
all it is is just an added bonus. Wow. I mean, I'm looking forward to the one that's going to come up this Sunday, and we are thrilled to be joined by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter and host and executive producer of ESPN Backstory, Don Van Natta Jr. Don, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, with, I'm, I'm looking forward to what, what you have going on. But before we start asking you about your current piece, Jeff wants to ask you about a previous piece. Yeah, Don, Don I've been following uh, some of the books that you've written in the past. And, and uh, your first book was called First Off the Tee, Presidential Hackers, Duffers, and Cheaters. But it only went from Taft to Bush. Is, is there a sequel in the works? <laughs> I would love to do that. That's so sweet that you remember. That book was published 17 years ago. I, I would love to do an updated version uh, and include President Obama uh, and President Trump in the book uh, So, so in an updated version. So I, I, I will take that as encouragement to try to get that done, and I will try to do it in the future. So I will reorder my copy already. Who is the biggest cheater? That's what we need to know. Oh, the, well, that's uh, – <laughs> That's pretty easy. It was Bill Clinton. Uh, I played a round of golf with I played a round of golf with President Clinton in the summer of 2002 for the book, and he was on his best behavior in front of me. You know, I had I accused him of being a golf cheat in the New York Times, and so he played with me to prove that he doesn't take extra shots, any mulligans, and he was on his best behavior out there for about a hole and a half. Now, on the second fairway, a ball went in the woods, and he fished another ball out of his pocket and uh, and then he just started hitting you know two three shots off the tee no putt pars uh, he had an 82 on his scorecard <laughs> when we were done but he had taken he had taken a couple of hundred swings it was pretty remarkable and uh the phrase the word that was coined in the book is billigans he doesn't take mulligans he takes billigans because <laughs> he gets his he, he gets his yeah. fellow playing to, uh to help him cheat and look the other way because he's just so charming uh when you're out there and you're just you're also just kind of amazed that you're playing golf with a with a former president. So uh, that's, that's how he does it. Well, I will definitely throw my vote in for a sequel, uh, but we'll move back to the matter at hand. Uh, I cannot wait for this Sunday night, 9 p.m. on ESPN. They're going to air Backstory, The Decision, a one-hour documentary that looks at the 2010 decision of LeBron James to leave Cleveland and move to Miami. Uh, can you tell us about the genesis of how this all came about? Because I was doing my research, and at the time, you were at the New York Times, and you were pretty critical of what went on then. <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm a huge NBA fan my whole life, and I was a New York Times reporter uh, based in New York at the time and was just kind of stunned that ESPN uh, was, you know, as I put it, I think in a tweet, handing the network keys over to LeBron where he got to pick the interviewer, he got to decide what time it was going to start, and uh, and he was getting all the ad money uh, for that hour for his favorite charity, for his family foundation. And I was just, as a journalist, there was something unsettling to me about that. Uh, and so I tweeted that out. And, and now with this backstory, I was able to ask the person who greenlit that decision, John Skipper, who also, by the way, hired me at ESPN just a year and a half later, uh, you know, what the rationale was for doing that. Uh, and uh, it, we have a very candid conversation about, you know, why Skipper felt uh, it was worth donating an hour of time to LeBron and to his business partner, Maverick Car Carter, for that show. Uh, and, uh, and I asked Skipper, I say, did LeBron use ESPN or did ESPN use LeBron? And his answer is it was mutual use. Uh, LeBron got 
uh, you know, a free hour of uh, television time, and uh, and ESPN was the center of the universe that night with bumper programming that still had millions of people watching it. So uh, it's a pretty candid conversation, and it's it's one of many, uh, you know, with a lot of new information in the episode that premieres Sunday night on ESPN. One of the, one of the things I think people are going to learn from from this is that this was not a last minute decision. Can you tell us about the genesis of how this all started? Yes. So uh, Jim Gray was the host. Uh, Jim Gray, the veteran broadcaster, was picked by Maverick Carter, LeBron James's business partner, uh, and Ari Emanuel, uh, a Hollywood agent. Um, Jim Gray said it was his idea that he pitched to Maverick Carter and uh, – uh, and uh, Ari Emanuel in early June, so just a month before the decision during the NBA Finals in L.A. during Game 2. It turns out, actually, the first person to have an idea that LeBron should talk about his free agency decision live on television was pitched in November of 2009 by a very unlikely person, actually a guy who I don't even know his last name. His name is Drew. He lives in Columbus, Ohio, and he wrote an email to Bill Simmons for Bill Simmons's mailbag column at ESPN.com. And Drew said, that upcoming summer, LeBron should announce his free agency decision live on ABC. Simmons replied in the column saying, that's a great idea. You could call it LeBron's decision and charge $45 for pay-per-view. But Simmons didn't end it there. Simmons then took the idea and pitched it to Maverick Carter, LeBron's business partner, uh, to Leon Rose, LeBron's agent at the time, to World Wide West, the advisor of LeBron at the time, in February of 2010 in Dallas during the NBA All-Star Weekend. Simmons also was pitching the idea to ESPN executives for months, but it didn't go anywhere, oddly. Even though Simmons works for ESPN, the ESPN executives didn't bite on the idea until it was pitched directly to John Skipper in June after that NBA uh, Finals meeting. So it's just this interesting kind of footnote that Bill Simmons, who, you know, co-founder of the 30 for 30 series, Grantland, now at the ringer, uh, was pushing an idea with his own executives and with Maverick Carter and the uh, LeBron inner circle. And, and for some reason, his bosses at ESPN never bid on it until Ari Emanuel got involved. You... You talked a little bit about your conversation with John Skipper. Um, this was a challenging decision inside ESPN because you had the news value of LeBron's decision being kept from their reporters for the entertainment side of the presentation. And you talk with John, you talk with Vince Doria, who was the network's vice president and director of news. Can you tell us a little bit about the internal struggles that went on ESPN over this? Well, there was definitely tension uh, between the news side and the, the show's production side at ESPN. Vince Doria talks about that, and, and Doria uh, says to me that he didn't like the way it was handled and he would have done it differently. Um, but I want to be really clear with your listeners that ESPN on the, on the show side didn't know what LeBron was going to say. I mean, if you look at the rundown that night uh, that the producers had, they had uh, if LeBron picks Miami as one entry, if LeBron stays in Cleveland as another, if LeBron picks the Knicks as a third entry. So they, they didn't know back in Bristol what LeBron was going to say. When I was at the Times, I was thinking to myself, well, how do the NBA insiders who work for ESPN 
um, how are they able to sort of conduct themselves, try to find out the scoop of where LeBron is going? Because if they do find out the information, they could scoop the show, right? They're going to they're gonna basically scoop LeBron and scoop the network. So I asked Skipper about that tension, and he said that nobody at the network was told not to do their job. And if they did end up getting the scoop, they could report it. Um, of course, nobody did. Uh, the night of the decision, Chris Broussard and Mike Wilbon, and we have this on our show on Sunday night, both say their sources tell them it's likely Miami, though Broussard leaves some wiggle room for the Bulls and the Knicks. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of tension about it, but I think that some people mis- mistook it that you know ESPN actually knew where LeBron was going and was keeping it uh, from its reporters, and that wasn't the case. There was also a lot of tension in the NBA front office about this. You go into a little bit about uh, David Stern's reaction to this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so David Stern um, has already said prior to us, you know, beginning to do our work on this, that he did not like the decision. He thought it was an ill-conceived broadcast, and he was quite critical of it. But one of the things we found out that Stern had not said publicly, the late uh, NBA commissioner, uh, and Skipper tells me this in the interview, is that basically Stern wanted to kill the show and uh, was extremely angry about it and uh, lobbied hard for Skipper to pull the plug on it. And when I asked Skipper why, Skipper said to me it was because the player was in control here. So Stern was concerned that this was setting a bad precedent for players to have a big platform announcing a free agency move, possibly envisioning the trend of player empowerment, which we also believe the decision was a launching pad for, you know, the building of super teams as well. Uh, and, uh, and, And that is what motivated Stern. He didn't like the fact that ESPN was extending this one hour of prime time to LeBron and he was, he was very much concerned about control. Did you get the impression from talking to people that LeBron actually had the idea that this was going to create a platform or more power for the players when he decided to do the decision? You know, that's a really good question. So I think that Maverick Carter uh, was certainly more focused on that than LeBron was. Um, Maverick Carter uh, really saw this as a first step toward eventually becoming a producer and a storyteller. Uh, And um, so I think he was more focused on that than LeBron was. But of of course, since then, uh, both of them have become executive producers. They have two media companies, Spring Hill Entertainment and Uninterrupted. Uh, They sell shows to multiple networks, More Than an Athlete, Shut Up and Dribble, The Shop, Uninterrupted. Uh, They're they just announced yesterday that $100 million is being raised for uh, all sorts of new storytelling ventures uh, for black storytellers. Uh, and, and so um, I think that that's what Maverick Carter imagined this being as a first step toward that. But so many mistakes were made, and it's, it's, you know, it's not surprising to under, to, to, when you think about the fact that these guys were in their mid-20s. They'd never done anything like this before. And they were calling the shots uh, that night in, uh, in Greenwich. Um, so I think that it was something that Maverick Carter thought more about than LeBron, but certainly the through line you can draw from that night to where they are today is a pretty clear one. 
You mentioned some of the controversy immediate. Uh, this also, you take a look at the wider ripple effect that his decision had on sports as a whole. But I did see in the preview at one point in the interviews, you called it an infamous decision. And an ESPN executive who you were sitting with challenged you on that characterization. Can you talk a little bit about that exchange and how he viewed what went on? Yeah, that's Keith Klinkscales. Uh, he's a former ESPN executive. He's actually the first person we interviewed for this episode. And uh, I said the word infamously about LeBron saying, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And he and Keith challenged me on camera and said, well, why are you using the word infamously? And I explained all the reasons, the backlash uh, that occurred, not just for LeBron, but for ESPN. And he said, well, you know, infamously, I, I took exception to that because he said for African-Americans, they saw what LeBron did as a step toward freedom and a step toward empowerment. And he, you know, I think very artfully frames it that way, which we then run with in the episode and explore that issue about the way black America saw the decision versus white America. And I asked follow-up questions of uh, Mike Wilbon and Chris Broussard two of our other guests on the show about that, and we and we get into that topic. So following up on that for my last one, what do you think the legacy of this made-for-TV event was? Well, there, there, there's, there's several of them. Certainly it's one that uh, it won't happen again. I mean, you have players leaving now. Look just to how Tom Brady uh, dealt with his, announcement that he was signing with Tampa Bay it was very, very different from what we saw in Greenwich. So I think, I think that LeBron's mistakes that night uh, are ones that won't be repeated by other star athletes when they're changing teams. So they're far more carefully scripted and managed and stage managed in the way they're done, particularly a, a player leaving a team who, you know, where he's been there like Brady for two decades. Uh, that's one of them. But but for LeBron, I mean, there's, there's a lot of legacies. Uh, well, well let me, before I go to LeBron, actually for player empowerment and the building of super teams, that's another one. And Wilbon says it really beautifully in the episode. He says it's really almost as if LeBron had the imagination to think, you know, I, I can do this. I, I've got enough power to team up with D. Wade and Chris Bosh and put this team together. And as we now see, there are players changing teams in the NBA, not even through free agency just through de demanding trades like Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler and others. And so uh, a lot of that comes from uh, what LeBron did that night in Greenwich. And for LeBron, I mean, he really, besides all of the storytelling vehicles that I described, uh, I believe he, you know, he, he's, when you look at him that night, he's so different from how he is now. He's somebody who's really found his voice on social issues and politics and race. He's, the most outspoken American athlete, arguably the most influential American athlete. And I believe a lot of that is uh, based on how he handled it that night uh, in Greenwich. I mean, he, what he learned, the lessons he learned and the people around him now, he's, he's very careful with what he does, but at the same time, he's also very courageous in some of the issues that he takes on since then. You can catch the premiere of Backstory, The Decision, this Sunday night at 9 p.m. on ESPN. Don, thanks so much for the time. We look forward to watching that, and we look forward to the sequel to your golfing book. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Really appreciate the time. Jeff, uh, 
I can't wait to see the backstory. Uh, you know, I'm a marketing guy. I'm a mm -hmm. communications and public relations guy. This is like right up my alley for the type of stuff that I like to see and the stories I like to see told. Well, th this is the kind of storytelling that I really like because people, the, the exterior anger that came with the decision really focused on the Cavaliers and Cavaliers fans and what he was and the way that it was perceived that he was dissing Cleveland. All of this other th stuff was not stuff that anybody really thought about, that th this meant that, that players had more power, that the league didn't want it, that there was, there was the possibility of super teams. All of this stuff, same thing within ESPN alone, the fact that you have these two different divisions and there's the push and pull. Because if, if I'm a reporter working for an organization trying to break stories, it does create, even if you're being told, go ahead and do your job. I'm sure, knowing all the professionals that we've talked to, that they did their job and kept doing their digging. But it is awkward because when you're digging, when you are an investigative reporter, you're looking everywhere. There's one place that would have been the obvious place to look. And luckily, the ESPN people didn't know the decision. But let's say they had. Then what do you do if you're an investigator? What if you do if you're Chris Broussard and you're trying to the first place that you would go <laughs> you, is you down get your the hallway, boss is right? very angry <laughs> right but you'd be going down the hallway saying hey look i need to know can you just tell me right and and, and you can't do that it, it was uh it, it made me take a second look at it and the, the thing that i like is that they examine the the dichotomy between the way that the black community looked at his decision as empowering and, and taking control for players and, and black athletes mm -hmm. versus some of the criticism they got from the others of him sort of taking this platform and abusing it. And, and it's just really interesting that I never really thought about that side of how people would see it. So I'm looking forward to seeing it through, through that lens. Yeah, it was, it was definitely fascinating to, to see that perspective, but it was also interesting that at least what we knew before was that the money was going to charity as well. So it wasn't it wasn't that he just manipulated this for his own personal gain. I just want you to watch because, again, <clears throat> I'm a marketing guy. I, I want you to watch for the placement of the vitamin water in the background right. when they show the video. It is great product placement. It's right on the table and right in the shot every time they go to LeBron. So so which flavor was it? It was I don't know which one was on the table, but they had like a whole variety in the machine in the back. It was well, every look. Look, every every time you watch uh, TV, you, you, you uh, to me, I watch and I see, oh, I wonder how much Coke played, paid to do that, or especially cars. Anytime you watch a movie now, I'm so jaded when I watch a movie, I sit there and go, oh, how much money did Jaguar play, pay for Mission Impossible so that their car <laughs> could be in, the, in this scene and it could get blown up, you know? It, 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 it's amazing how... You know, we, we think about advertising as the in-your-face, you know, patches when you see race car drivers. And now, supposedly, I think baseball is going to be doing now that you're going to be able to advertise much like the KBO. And it, but How you feel what about we that? don't realize is all this product placement that's like right behind you. How you feel about that? If there's like a Wawa patch on the Phillies jersey, you would go with that? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I used to hate it. I've come to accept it. It just, I find it odd, some of them. Like, for example, the Golden State Warriors, I believe, is Bumble, which is, which is like, I think it's like a dating site. So it, it's some, 
Some of them are odd. Jeff, you need to but, do some further investigating. No, thank you. It just, it, it just strikes me as like I keep waiting for, I'm not going to say the names of companies, but there are some that you could just immediately know you're going to start giggling if you see it, right? And so where do, are they going to find a place where they draw the line? If someone gives them $10 million to put their name on it and it's something that you may not want your kid to like all of a sudden go, like, you, let's say you take your kid to a Sixers game next year. He'll be four, right? So, and, and he and he goes, Daddy, by the way, what's that? And you're like, oh, I don't want to have to explain this to him until he's 16, you know? Like, <laughs> where do they draw the line? Well, I, I mean. It was interesting uh, what Seattle's doing with the naming of their state. I was going to say Climate Pledge Arena. Mm-hmm. They That is going to be the, the new name. I guess Amazon bought it. So yeah, Amazon bought the naming rights, and apparently it was inspired by, you might know because you're a little hipper than me, Billie Eilish. (laughs) Uh, So Billie Eilish, apparently the the singer, apparently when she does concerts in arenas, requires them to be as as carbon neutral and as, as net neutral as they can when it comes to the environment. And this arena's supposed to be state of the art, no plastics, those kinds of things. Similar to what I only know this because my kid's about to go there. University of Colorado's football stadium apparently is like a net zero stadium. So it's kind of fascinating to see that not only are they going to try to do this for the stadium, it's going to cost them a fortune. I think this, the arena is going to be like nine, $900 million. But in addition to that, the fact that they're, they're using this as a platform for some kind of social change. They better hope that fans are able to go to see those games if they're doing that much with it. Well, that, you know, you sit there and you watch it. This is the worst time to be building an arena. Uh, it definitely is. Sorry if you hear a screaming baby in the background. My three-month-old does not seem thrilled that I'm on the air with you as opposed to hanging out with him at the moment. Yeah, well, most people usually, it's usually the person talking to me crying, not the person that's in the background. Well, you just have that effect on people. Let's get back to the Sixers. <laughs> they sign a shooter. Jeff, they're going to win it all now, right? Ooh. Uh, Ryan Breckoff, uh, Australian sharpshooter, 40.3% shooter from deep, 2.4 attempts per game in two seasons with the Dallas Mavericks. Ooh. He's been playing overseas, apparently. I, I, I don't know if it's an owl in the background or it's me, but I'm just going to keep saying who. I mean, meanwhile, the, the Mavericks signed Trey Burke. Um, I, I, I know that's disappointing to you. Has anyone signed Jamal Crawford yet? I haven't seen anything about that yet. Because if you were concerned about his age, because he seems like the ageless wonder, um, this is a short period of time. Why would you not take a shot on somebody who has been instant offense in this league, is is the sixth man of the last decade and a half, essentially? Why is nobody taking a chance? Why are the Sixers? You've wondered that all season, though. You've wondered why nobody takes a chance on him. I wanted to hop off basketball to football real fast for a second. We only have like three minutes left. The NFL owners on Thursday approved allowing teams to cover their seats for the first eight rows in tarps so they can have sponsorships and advertising on them. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) So you just wanted to go back to marketing what you wanted to do. I just wanted to get your reaction to the fact that you'll now see more branding and marketing around the stadium. Woo-hoo. I mean, look, you got to do what you got to do to make – this is an unusual The Giants season ticket holders are giving their fans the opportunity to take a season off given the current COVID crisis. Their PSLs will remain intact till 2021. They'll do what? so the they're going to give them a chance to take a season off from paying. There's no to, games to pay for. To not, apparently, the NFL still thinks that they're going to have fans in the stadium. And if somebody doesn't feel comfortable coming back because of COVID, they will oh, let them hold their PSL. Because the Giants actually called last week and offered me season tickets. 
probably that's why. That's, uh, that's that's yeah. apparently their plan on what they're doing. Jet so safety, they're, Jamal. They're going to say you have a season off and then you get your seat back. Apparently, you can maintain the PSL for one year oh, even if see, you choose so not to go to the game. It. So they get they found a way to keep the PSL and find somebody to be in the seat. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, Jets, Jamal Adams wants to be traded. Uh, and you want him badly. I don't know what the Eagles give up for him. I, I, he wants to go to Dallas, it seems. Yeah, well, the Jets don't seem to yeah. want to trade him. Well, if you're the Jets, why would you trade a guy who has two years left on his rookie contract? Well, it depends what you get. Nobody, nobody's going to give for a safety, give two first-round picks. No matter yeah. how good a safety is, you are not going to give up two first-round picks, which is what the Jets are going to ask for him at a minimum. And it's just not going to be worth it. And if you get him the likelihood is then you're going to have to sign him to a long-term deal. And so you're going to have to pay him an inordinate amount of money for a position that does not normally get that kind of money. Uh, speaking of paying an inordinate amount of money, Dak Prescott signed the franchise tag. So he'll be at Cowboys camp. They have was it, 20, $31 million. $31 million. Now they can work season. out an extension or he plays on a one-year deal. It makes Carson Wentz's contract look that much better, by the way. I have a suggestion. He may not want to have any dinners with Ezekiel Elliott anytime soon. No, probably not. That Um, wouldn't be a good thing. Um, Dallas Goddard was sucker punched this past week. Uh, They arrested the guy, a 29-year-old. Video came out about it. Um, Yeah, not good, Jeff. (laughs) Not good at all. Um, your thoughts before we go, we got about 45 seconds. We went all around the league, the sports, what stands out from you today? Uh, that golf. Take into the weekend. Oh, golf. golf. So, so golf gets back to it and they don't listen to anyone and they sit there and there's a whole bunch of bug guys on the tee box and a bunch of stuff going on. And apparently they were pleading with these guys, please follow the protocols. And they didn't want to listen. And now a bunch of caddies have tested positive. A bunch of golfers, including Brooks Kepka, who's one of the top golfers, has has to pull out this weekend. I don't understand why these guys would risk it. Hopefully these other leagues will learn from that because otherwise you could see this happening in lots of other places. Jeff, any last fingers, thoughts? Fingers crossed. Everybody just be smart. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.